Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Matt Lewis, who is VP of Business Development at Geodis. And today we're going to talk about realities and misconceptions of the 4PL relationships. Now, um, you know, when it comes to working with logistics partners, uh, manufacturers and retailers, you know, their expectations uh, and their needs, uh, you know, have changed a lot over the, you know, the past few years. And, um, you know, and so have, you know, so has the logistics service provider market. You know, questions such as, you know, what is a 3PL? You know, what is a 4PL? I mean, the answers to those questions are different today than they were in the past. And yet there's still some confusion and, and misconceptions out there, especially when it comes to 4PL relationships. Uh, so what are some of those misconceptions? You know, what defines a successful 4PL customer relationship today? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to discuss. And, you know, it's great to have Matt on the program who, you know, is on the front lines of this day in and day out to share his insights and advice on this topic. So, Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you for the invitation, Adrian. Appreciate it. Uh, now, Matt, you're a first-time guest on Talking Logistics, and like I always do whenever I bring someone new onto the program, I'm always interested in learning how and why they got into this industry to begin with. So you know, before we dive into the topic, you know, why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path, how and why you got involved with uh, supply chain logistics, and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Geodis? Okay. Well, I got into logistics really from, uh, from grad school. I have a, a master's from the University of Tennessee, which has a very strong program in logistics. And uh, from there, went into a variety of industries, but really got involved in this 4PL space, beginning with, uh, with Anderson Consulting, now Accenture. And that led me uh, into IBM, where I did a number of jobs relative to logistics, whether strategy planning or procurement. And uh, we, I was over in Asia leading our uh, Asia-Pacific logistics organization, and we decided to go the 4PL route as an uh, IBM and decided to design and develop our logistics organization into a 4PL model and then divest it. So I led the divestiture of that piece of business into the market, uh, which Jodis ultimately won. And then subsequently, and, and actually I stayed and, uh, and built the control tower that then managed Jodis. So I had to design and develop that as well. But subsequently I went to Jodis and since then uh, I've been selling the solution to other customers. And we have a number of um, very large customers in automotive, uh, consumer goods, oil and gas, aero and defense, industrial. Uh, so we've, uh, we've really been able to expand this 4PL model, and it's something that uh, I've been living really now for about 15 years. Yeah, wow. So, so pretty interesting. So you're you know, kind of, you know, starting from the kind of the consulting world, then really being kind of on the shipper side, if you will, and, and, and kind of being in the front lines of this, and now obviously on the, on the service provider side. So you've got the unique perspective of uh, kind of coming at it from, from all, uh, all angles. Uh, so, so let's, let's get now with the topic. I mean, you know, kind of like I kind of mentioned in my opening comments, I mean, although the, the term 4PL, you know, has been around for a long time, many people still, you know, are confused by it, you know, especially as it relates to other terms like, you know, 3PLs or logistics outsourcing, you know, more generally. I mean, what, um, you, you know, what defines and differentiates 4PL from, you know, uh, uh, outsourcing, other outsourcing models and approaches? Yeah, for a very simplistic approach, 3PL really began because shippers were really dissatisfied with the number of disparate relationships they had. They really wanted to have relationships with the niche and the most affordable suppliers, but they didn't want to have thousands of relationships. So they began to bundle those into fewer players. And 4PL is really just an extension of that model. But then it, now it takes into aspects more than just the 
physical logistics, but now thinking about elements of procurement, elements of IT, and elements of finance, right? So if you think of 4PO, it really has four uh, disciplines. Uh, one, is, one is the procurement element, and these are disciplines that are traditionally been part internally of the shipper, right? So it's an evolution of the outsourcing model. So procurement is holding the contracts, you know, so establishing relationships with the series of suppliers on behalf of the customer, right? The other is IT, which is now setting a single backbone for the customer. Right now, they probably have many disparate relationships with different suppliers where the data is coming in very different formats. It's fragmented. It's not in the same uh, format. It's not standardized. And this enables the customer to get a consolidated view of, of that data. Uh, operations is more of an alert management approach where where the physical scheduling of the shipments is still occurring very much at the 2PL, 3PL level, but this is the actual real-time resolution to those issues, whether it's a mechanical or a weather or whatever, uh, the, the, the alert occurs within the system and the 4PL then takes proactive action to try to solve that. You know, and then the last element is finance, right? There's, there's a lot of um, uh, freight bill validation that goes on, freight bill audit, and even the payment. Right, so again, these are pieces that were traditionally within the uh, within the company that are now really 4PL. And, and what really leads to this is a company has to come to the conclusion of what is their core competency. You know, whether it's automotive, it's R&D and and mechanical quality within the within the machine. If it's oil and gas, it's exploration. If it's aerospace and defense, you know, it's it's the quality of the product, right? But it's not really logistics. That's not to say logistics is not critically important. For each one of those customers is incredibly important, but that doesn't mean it's their core competence. They all have a finite level of cash, and they've got to decide where to put that cash. And logistics is probably not the core investment that they make. So they have to come to the decision first that it's critically important, not a core competency. So these are elements of their business that they really don't need to be best in class at. There are partners out there that can do that for them. But, you know, there's also a lot of confusion in the market about the terminology. But what is what is LSP? What is LLP? What is 4PL? What is Control Tower? And you can't really go anywhere and find that uh, definition, right? So we we try to simplify that to say when you hear the word Control Tower, from our perspective, that means someone dealing with specifically shipments, shipment visibility, and dealing with a sub element of a customer's business. That might be a geography, it might be a product type, it might be a plant. But when you move to the word LLP, that's when you start talking about this greater evolution of outsourcing. You start taking on common IT, start taking on the finance elements. And then 4PL is really the same as LLP, it's just now you own the procurement. So the distinction being you own pair payment and you own pair contract. So we try to drive some distinction in those, those terminologies, but the language is not very clear. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that, that's why I see sometimes people get caught up with kind of the terminology and the acronyms and, and everything else. And it really comes down to, uh, you know, what I always tell folks is, you know, take, taking a step back and saying, you know, almost like you alluded to in terms of what is your core competency or thinking about the other way is, you know, what is it that you're lo really looking for, right? What is it that, it, you know, relative to whatever uh, challenges you have or opportunities you're going after, what is it that you're looking for out of a partner, right? And, and you know, I always instill it down it, for most cases, and generally speaking, they're looking for the right mix of uh, services, uh, technology, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, consulting in some ways, right? And, and to some extent, you know, that, that's a, a, each customer, each potential, uh, you know, each manufacturer retailer is going to have a different mix of, of, of what they're, you know, what they're looking for. You know, I, I love the four pillars that, that you outlined, and, and IT is one that I, uh, in my perspective, I'd be curious what you think. 
you know, that one's becoming, you know, much bigger, if you will, yeah. uh, today than it was in the past. And in many ways, I mean, I've said in the past where, you know, in many ways, a lot of companies are looking at their logistics partners, regardless if you call them a 3PL or 4PL or whatever that's nature of the relationship. Yeah. They're looking at those partners as providers of business intelligence and, and analytics as much as they are looking for them uh, as providers of those other four pillars. Do, do you see that as well? Yeah, that's true, actually. And it's interesting how it's still, even that piece is somewhat in the rudimentary stage because customers are really thinking, I think, mostly visibility. You know, where are my shipments, which somehow translates into basic track and trace, and they're looking for budgets. You know, how much do I spend in logistics? Their, their systems and their networks are so fragmented, they can't even get consistent with those two people. So that's really where customers are pushing now. I want visibility, and I want to understand what I'm spending. But the reality of it is, from an IT perspective, this thing is, from, especially in the 4PL model, it's going much broader, right? They're starting to, there's really three other aspects we're looking at, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the alert management. Now I have actually elements within the system that say, if customs doesn't clear by this particular piece in the transit time, there's an alert. Or if a shipment doesn't transit at the cross dock at this particular time, there's an alert, right? So now it's starting to not only give you visibility of what's in the network, but when it occurs. And someone then can take action. And then once you've got this combination of data over a period of time, you can start to do some real forecast. Because you know reliably what, net, what elements of the network are, are working and which aren't. And now we start talking about asset management. Start talking about, all right, where should my inventory be? How much should I have? Because I know I have reliability in that lane. Or how should I schedule my resources for shipping? Because I know the reliability of that lane. Or even better, what is my warehouse size and my production planning going to look like? because I know. So now we're starting about some pretty capital intensive elements of your supply chain that are being optimized data visibility. And then you take it to the last point was optimization. You take all this data gathered from the forecasting perspective and you start saying, all right, what should my network look like? Uh, what plants should I have? What warehouses? What inventory? What modes of transport? What service levels? And you start to put all this data in to say, all right, let me truly say what my network should be like based on real data. You know, an, a, a really a anomaly that people don't understand on this is from the supplier side of this, just in RFQs, this will improve their business by 5%. Because in every RFQ the suppliers respond to, they put a contingency on that rate because they don't trust the data. And now you've got reliable data at the detailed level of which suppliers can truly price the network correctly on. And that alone is a real windfall. But, you know, data. This data management piece on IT is so much broader, I think, than even customers are targeting it now. And our 4PL customers are starting to see that. Yeah, no, those are great points. I mean, data quality management has always been, you know, a critical piece. And I always view that as being, you know, one of the big value propositions that, you know, a logistics service provider can bring to the table. Um, and of course, now we're getting into things like, you know, predictive analytics and, and mm -hmm. prescriptive yeah. analytics, right? So I think that's kind of the next wave you know, that, that we're going to see, uh, you know, moving forward, where again, logistics service provider partners are going to be able to, you know, play a key, critical role there. Um, you, you know, often when people think about, you know, 4PL relationships, they, they think about it kind of a one, one size fits all, yeah. you know, a, a approach where, uh, you know, a manufacturer retailer basically hands over the entire, you know, keys to the operations to, to the logistics service provider, you know, to plan and manage. 
I mean, is that a reality or a, mis a misconception? I mean, how much flexibility is there in a 4PL relationship? Yeah, it's, it's a real misconception because if I look at all the relationships we have in 4PL, I don't have a single one that's exactly the same. Every customer, based on their traditional way they've invested or what they believe is still their core competency or processes they want to outsource or keep, always ask for some different element of the solution. You know, just in the procurement space alone, there are relationships where the customer still has the contract. There are relationships where the customer has signature of the contract, but we actually do all the bid processes. There are customers that totally relinquish all responsibility of the contract, and we own it and we pay it, right? So just in that one element, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility. In IT, we have customers that want us to be the total end-to-end. -to -end. There are customers that want you to tie into ERP and not be that. Some that want PO management, because the inbound is a real problem these days. So that, and some don't, right? So there's somewhat validation, but some don't want payment. There's all kinds of aspects in that menu of services that we allow a customer to pick from. It's truly a menu. And they can add or drop services based on the value that they see. So actually, it's a total misconception. There's a lot of uh, volatility and variability in the solution that, that is being implemented. And I think customers can really decide for their own what they think uh, is important for them to do and not to do from an outsourcing perspective. And many customers also choose to do this. They don't do this all at once. You know, and I, would, I would think, and what I've seen as well, is that not only is there, um, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, customers looking for that right mix of, you know, services and IT capabilities and consulting and, and so forth, and each one's going to be different. But I think what I also see is that these relationships evolve over time. So, you know, maybe originally they may have you, you know, own the procurement process, the whole thing. Um, but then over time, you know, a year down the road, two years down the road, they may want to bring aspects of it back in house. And they, but then, uh, you know, uh, you know, outsource other aspects of, of their uh, operations. Do you see that as well as is it being kind of like a not, you know, the relationships evolve and changing over time where some things are, are, you know, that might have been originally outsourced, they, they bring it back in, and then things that they had it in-house in uh, originally, but then they say, okay, why don't you, you know, take ownership of this now? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think a concern of a lot of customers is that they don't have flexibility once they do this, right? And a lot, most of our customers actually do it in phases, right? They, they only pick pieces of those four elements, and they do them over time, and they only pick certain geographies and do them over time, right? The Big Bang Theory and this kind of is usually more risky than it is valuable. But also a lot of customers are very concerned about what we call reversibility, right? How they can bring the business back in if they want to. And the key to that is just establishing the right commercial relationship and contractual design in the beginning and that you build in that transition at the back end if you want to. But really it depends on where they answer that first question on core competency. If they are truly bought in that this is not their core competency, then the future um, changes that they might make will only be from supplier to supplier, but they'll still have outsourced the solution, right? So they're more worried about how they can plug and play different partners than they are how do they bring back processes. But some truly want to think about how they bring back processes. And the two that are probably the ones they want to bring back quicker is procurement, but that's quite frankly easy to do with assignment and adoption elements of the contract, or IT, which is a little more difficult because you do have to build a migration plan for that information to come back into your internal systems but you just build the right transition plan on the front end to allow you to do it. It doesn't happen very often though. Most customers, once they feel like this is not their core competency, they're thinking about how they evolve it larger rather than 
how they reverse it back. But there always is a risk balance that they want to consider on the front end. They want to account for that, and they should. Right. Yeah, that was going to be, you know, my, my, my next point, uh, which, which you just addressed, you know, this, this whole, uh, I guess, other misconception or, or thought that, you know, this is a one way street, you know, once mm-hmm. you go the 4PL route or, you know, outsource that, you, you know, because you lose the, the people or the now know how the technology is very difficult to, to bring it right. you know, back in. But I think to your point is, you know, number one is if, if uh, you, you originally viewed this as a not, you know, not being a core competency, um, you know, it, it's, it's unlikely that, um, you know, the question isn't so much about bringing it back, but it's more around, you know, if it's not the right relationship in one, in one, one, one dimension of it. But the other one is, it sounds like if you, you know, think through it as part of the nature of the, how you met, uh, structure that relationship, you, you could do that. Uh, you could plan for that. Uh, right. Right. So, uh, uh so what, what are companies looking for today? In a, in a 4PL, you know, relationship. I mean, what, what are some of the attributes mm. uh, or capabilities they should look for in, in, in a partner and, and how, um, you, you know, how have the expectations changed over the years? Yeah, well, maybe I'll say first why they're looking. They're really, I would say there's probably six fundamental things that they're looking for. Um, they want scale, a lot of them from a rate perspective. You know, they believe that uh, potentially one of the partners in the business are bringing more logistics spend into the market than they are, which is true in most respects. They're looking for cost variability. You know, they really want to push this into a multi-client environment to get more variability against their business than they have today. They're looking for fewer relationships. You know, they, they have too many disparate, complicated procurement relationships and they want that uh, single throat to choke or just a few partners of which they will manage their business. They're, they're, some of them are looking for global coverage. They want to expand globally and they just can't uh, establish those relationships fast enough. And, and really the emerging markets more than anything, you know, you've got a lot of dynamic big customers that have offer, require a lot of different services. It's not just air and ocean and ground and white glove and warehousing and building all those different relationships in a complicated country like India or Peru or Vietnam. You know, they'd rather build a single relationship and have them do it for them, right? So that, that's, that's kind of why they go. What kind of, of uh, customers are doing it? It's really customers that are global. They have very complex networks, and they're really trying to uh, uh, satisfy what their customers are looking for. They've got customers with very capital-intensive manufacturing locations, and they need to have a very reliable supply chain, right? So they're really trying to... Uh, to, to establish something that satisfies a customer better than they do today with all these disparate relationships. Now, do you see, and, and I love the way you broke it down into those reasons, because I see the same thing. Another area that I see that I'm wondering, uh, I'd love to get your take on is, you know, they're also looking at um, innovation, right? So, you know, they're getting a lot of pressure from their own customers in terms mm-hmm. of quote unquote innovating, whether it's, you know, uh, implementing new technology or experimenting with, you know, whether it's blockchain, you know, these things that you hear yeah. out there, or you're talking about using robotics or drones or, you know, automation in the warehouse, whatever the case might be. And they, uh, for a lot of the companies, they view their logistics service provider partners as, a, as an avenue to test out and pilot, you know, these yeah. emerging processes and technologies and do so in a much faster and more cost-efficient way than if they try to do that themselves internally and trying to get the, the budget, trying to get the people, the resources, everything else. So do you see that as well as, as innovation being another driver uh, to, to working with a partner? 
Absolutely, because it really goes back to that core competency question again, is where should they put their investment for their innovation? It should be in their business. And they're really trusting the logistics partner to drive that innovation within our businesses, right? And so they're expecting us and they're pushing us because it drives efficiency back to them on where we can generate new technologies and these processes to improve their business. And, and really, that's less of even a 4PL element. That's really integrated within all the logistics solutions, you know, down to the warehousing level and at the transportation level, whether it's dynamic routing or robotics or blockchain or whatever those elements are, they're really pervasive throughout our industry. But they're things that we have to drive and our customers are expecting us to drive, right? It, 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 but, but one thing is differentiation with the 4PL level. Our customers are not really looking for commodity pricing anymore and commodity service. They're really looking for something that's providing innovation to the market, providing intellectual knowledge of where the market's going, understanding, you know, what five years, six years, 10 years looks like, right? Those are questions we didn't get historically as 3PL, right? That you're getting much stronger at 4PL because the expectations are much greater because of the level of outsourcing. No, great, great point. So, so that, that, that brings me to my next question. I mean, what, what defines, you know, a successful, you know, 4PL, you know, customer relationship. I mean, what, what, are, what are the key ingredients that both parties need to bring to the table to, to make this a successful one? Yeah, you know, the, the customer has to have decided from the top down, this is the right thing for them to do, right? It really needs top level sponsorship because in most shippers, there's still a lot of disconnection between the plants, the countries, the logistics organizations, the procurement organizations, the inventory organizations, right? And if those organizations are really not aligned in terms of this is the strategy and to go march towards this and the value associated with it, then it becomes very complicated to implement, right? So the customer really has to have bought into it before they start. And I think that's a part of the success of it. I think the other is the 4PL has to be able to demonstrate value. You know, it, it is a, it's a short-term uh, a project, but it's very much a long-term investment, right? And I think, I think, Shippers have a tendency to think more short-term. How do I pay for this project? What are my immediate savings for this project? And those can occur and do occur. But this is really, when you talk about the optimization of forecasting and asset management, it's a much more longer-term project with longer-term value. And I think a lot of customers, if they focus on the short-term, have a tendency to lose sight, right? So I think that's another success point as well, is you really have to have a long-term view of it. You know, that, that, that's a great point because, I mean, I think when you, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the industry, you know, just in the 3PL industry, logistics outsourcing industry, you know, in terms of, you know, historically there was kind of this commodity, you know, this view of, you know, doing a reverse auction to get the lowest price from, you know, so you're, you're, you're basically outsourcing, you know, multi-million dollar operations to the lowest cost bidder, right? I mean, you've right. seen that in the past where you yes. like, have to scratch your head and say, how is this, you know, happening? You know, purely taking a very, you know, cost-driven approach to to outsourcing, which yeah. obviously gets a lot of companies in, in trouble. So, so I would think here, with the kind of taking that long-term perspective, you know, the nature of these relationships by default ought to be long-term, right? I mean, so you, I would guess that most of your agreements or relationships are, you know not the type that are going to get bid out every, you know, year or every two, yeah. two or three years. They tend to be longer-term in nature. I think all of mine are a minimum of five years, and some of them even longer. And even the ones that have been five years have extended beyond that. It's very much a, a, a long-term commitment. 
Now, again, the supplier needs to show value and shows value regularly, right? Through those four disciplines that we talked about earlier, but they're very much long-term partnerships. And, and that's probably the biggest part of the award process within the four PL is there is an element of qualification. There is an element of, you know, assessing the value, but really it gets into relationships. It's into trust. It's into culture. It's into a, you know, or can you, can you really build a, a partnership with this? organization. It goes both ways. It's not just the shipper choosing the uh, the 4PL, it's vice versa as well. But it's very much a long-term item. You know, I, I love that last point because that's that's so true. I mean, I think I, I've often said that, you know, and what I've seen out there with those successful relationships is that, you know, there, there really is, has to be an, an alignment of culture between mm-hmm. the two organizations for it to, to, to fit together. And that, you know, in many cases, the 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 four PLs, logistics service providers are the most successful are the ones that know which customers or prospective customers wouldn't be the right fit for them and actually turn away business right. uh, because they say, you know what, it, you know, uh, our, our culture, our strategy, our, our vision is not aligned with yours. And, and this is what we look for in a, in a, uh, in a client. And, uh, you know, sometimes you know, it takes discipline to turn away business, particularly if it's a, you know, a, a sizable business, but I think yeah. knowing, when you're setting yourself up for failure because you've, you've got, you don't have that alignment, I think is, is critically uh, important for both sides. Very important. Uh, so, so Matt, we're running short on time here, so I'm just going to go you know, right, right to my last question here. I mean, I, I mean, what questions should supply chain logistics executives ask themselves to determine or assess if going the 4PL a relationship route is, is the right approach for them? Yeah, I, I think if they're looking at their network today and saying, I'm not getting consistent standard information. I'm not, I, don't, I can't find it in the same place. It's not in the same format. It's coming in in different, uh, different ways. And I can't use that information to manage my business because of that. Then you've got the potential to really uh, see value in a 4PL because 4PL will integrate that information for you. I think if, you've, if they see they've got too many relationships, then, uh, then that's another clear value. If they see that uh, they're trying to get into markets that are difficult to do, if they see um, tasks and infrastructure in their business that aren't their core competency, that they shouldn't be managed, and that an outsourced party should manage better. You know, all these things, I think, if they're starting to ask those questions, is this my core competency? Should I be owning these processes, these assets, of these resources, and all these relationships? I don't want the data to ride my business, and, and they really potentially have the need for a four people. Yeah, I think those are all those are all great great questions and and um, you, you know good focus areas to think about you know as they're making the the, the decision on trying to figure out what the right path is you know for for them. Right. Um, you know, Matt, like I always say when we uh, you know do these episodes, we always just manage to scratch the surface on these topics. But I think you provided some some good clarity and and information and and advice in terms of you know how to be really thinking about you know, some of the realities and misconceptions out there regarding the, you know, 4PL relationships. So thank you for making the time to uh, be with us today. Well, thank you for inviting us. And uh, I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand at the Geodis website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Matt, uh, you can post it there and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you all for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.